Well, as Eliza mentioned, uh, we've been in the midst of a new series called Jesus, Savior of the World, talking about Jesus, uh, that he came to save the entire world, everybody. Uh, and so we wanted to look at um, the genealogy in Matthew that talks about Jesus' birth. So if you heard last week, we talked about the genealogy in uh, Luke's gospel, and then today we're going to look at the genealogy in Matthew's gospel. So we're going to look at Matthew's in a second, but you're going to notice when we look at it that it's different, right? You're thinking, why should it be different? You know, like, how come I'm getting a different family line when I'm looking at one gospel and when I read the other one, Jesus' genealogy looks different, right? So I want to talk about that first a little bit, and then we'll go more deep into the Matthew genealogy. Okay, so when we look at the Luke genealogy, um, we're going to notice a few different things. So first, when you look at Luke's genealogy in chapter, Luke chapter 3, it's listed from Joseph, okay, Jesus' father, all the way to Adam, okay? It doesn't list every single person from Joseph uh, to Adam, because that would be way too many, <laughs> but it lists key people from Joseph all the way to Adam, okay, seeing that Jesus' line started from the very beginning, from the very first human, right? Um, another reason we're going to see a difference is because Luke has a specific audience. Luke is writing to Gentiles, to non-Jews. So he's going to uh, recount and to name the people that he thinks are going to be significant that they would connect with, that they would understand. Okay, and then finally, we're going to see that Luke's genealogy is probably listed, okay, most people consider that through the mom's lineage, okay? And we talked about how that's unusual, right? Usually in the Jewish culture, the lineage is taken through the man's side and not through the woman's side, okay? But in the loose genealogy, it looks like that uh, it's different because it's through Mary's side, okay? When we look at Matthew's genealogy, we're going to see in a minute that it's going to be listed from Abraham to Joseph, okay? Again, through uh, Jesus' death. Okay, but it's going to be from Abraham to Joseph instead of uh, from Joseph to Adam. Okay, it's written to a Jewish audience, so it's going to include and highlight those people that the Jews would be familiar with. And so obviously when you look at Abraham, Abraham is like a key figure with the Jews. It's starting with Abraham. This probably recounts through Joseph's lineage. Okay, so you can see why the two are going to be different. But what's really interesting to me, some are the same. Right? Both are going to go through David. So some, even though through the mom or through the dad, they have common ancestry. Okay? And it's so interesting when you look at Jesus' genealogy when we see that. Okay, so that's a little background. Just wanted to give you a little background to see like, uh, if you compare what we looked at last week to what we see this week, there's going to be some differences. Okay? But let's start with uh, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 1 which is kind of an introduction. And then we're going to look at verse 17, which is at the very end. It kind of gives a recap of the genealogy. Okay, so verse 1 says, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so he's setting out what he's going to do and how he's going to present the genealogy. Then in verse 17, uh, he says, so... After listening all the, all the different genealogies, he says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to, to Babylon, which is when Israel was like exiled, they had to leave Israel, and they were all kind of captured and taken away. 
okay, from the exile, 14 generations from the depart uh, the deportation from Babylon to the Messiah and another 14 generations. So there's three sections, right? So you have from Abraham to David, 14 generations. Then you have from David to when Israel was exiled and they were all kicked out of their land. And then from the exile all the way to Jesus. Okay, so there's three different sections. Okay, we're going to look at only in particular the first section. Okay, but there are two more sections, okay? And we'll talk about the overall view in a second. Okay, so let's look at that first section. Yeah, starting in verse 2, says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Okay, so let's stop right here. So if you remember from last time when I talked about the genealogies, and I, I really kind of emphasized that a lot of times when we look at genealogies, we think, so boring, <laughs> right? It's a list of so many different names, and this father and begot this person, this person begot this person, and it really seems it's hard to kind of get through and to really get a lot out of it. And so when we look at genealogies, remember what I mentioned last time is there's certain things that can kind of help us in really gaining a little bit more insight to what we're supposed to get from these different genealogies, especially when we don't recognize a lot of the names, okay? So one of the things that I mentioned is when we look at the different lists, look for things that are similar, but then also look for things that are different, okay? There's a pattern in the genealogies, right? And this pattern keeps repeating over and over and over again, right? This person was the father of this person. This person was the father of this person. But you notice when we look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, there are several things where he takes a break from the pattern. And whenever you see that, what's the best thing to do is ask, why? Why does he do that? Why does he insert this? Why does he mention this? Why is this important? Okay, so let's take a look at that. Okay, so it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, so the first thing we notice is that he says that uh, Jacob was the father of Judah, which is where Jesus came from, his line, but, and his brothers. Okay, so when we look at this, that we see Judah and his brothers, and when we look at the history of, the, of Israel, Israel started with Jacob. Okay, so Jacob actually had his name changed to Israel. So Israel was actually a person, okay? So when you think about the nation of Israel, when you think about the Middle East, and when we think about the country of Israel, Israel just actually started from a person, right? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So when you look at uh, how Jews think about their family lineage, they think about it in terms of their tribe, we talk about that too. Oh, this is my tribe, right? This is my family. These are my people, right? We kind of use some kind of similar vernacular today, but that's the way that Jews were. They're thinking about their tribe, okay? And there's 12 of them, 12 tribes. Which tribe did Jews, Jesus come from? The tribe of Judah, okay? So there's the particular one. Okay, then it says, Judah was the father of the Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Okay. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Aram. Ram was the father of Mimadad, Amimadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. 
Boaz was the father of Obadad by Ruth, and Obadad the father of Jesse. Okay, so if you notice what we just looked at, there are several, again, the same thing, father of, father of, but a few different times he adds, by this person, by this woman, by this mother. Okay, so there's several times he, he doesn't do it every time. He doesn't do for all of them, but a few of them he adds the mom. Okay, let's look at verse 6. Then Jesse was the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Okay, so again, this is very different, right? This is like breaking the pattern, right? So it's very different when you look at these. So what we want to do is we want to look at these different things in Jesus' line. We want to just take a look at each one. Okay, when we do, okay, I want you to think about what we had mentioned last time about how our family is important. Okay, so if you think about our family, and we, if you were here last time and heard the message last time, we talked about how God works through our family, you know, and we talked about how our families a lot of times are messed up, right, and we have a lot of dysfunction in our family, and we're going to see that actually in Jesus's family line, okay, so when we look at Jesus' family line, it's the same as what we experience too, that we have a lot of dysfunction that happens in our family, and as we mentioned last time, a lot of times when we look at our family, there's a lot of hurt associated with our family. You know, and I had shared about my own experience, about my own family, and then looking at my experience about my dad and all the things that I experienced and um, all the brokenness that happened, all the things that I got hurt by and all the things that I look back and I regret it or I think I really, um, yeah, really feel like I got gypped in a sense like, wow, this was part of my family, right? And I didn't grow up in the most ideal way, and I felt like a lot of the result of who I am was because of my family. And a lot of things that were not right about me, I felt like, because of my family. But what I think I mentioned last time is there's also positive things that are part of our family and things that kind of get overshadowed by all the negative. And I had mentioned about how we need to receive those things as well. So when we look at Jesus' line, it's really important to remember that. It's really important for us to think about our family line and that our family line is not an accident. And we had mentioned your family is something you don't get to choose. Like when you're born, you don't get any choice in that. You don't get any choice of like who your father was, who your mother was. You have no choice in the matter. Look at Jesus' family line. Jesus had no choice in it. And in fact, that's a lot of times when we look at the proofs of what why we believe Jesus was who he says he was, was that we have documented proof thousands of years before Jesus was born who his family line was going to be. So when we look at Jesus and when he was actually born, we can trust that he was who he says he was because those were things written down thousands of years before and it's something that he had no control over. He couldn't choose to do that. He couldn't pretend to be that. He couldn't pretend to be uh, the son of this person in this family line that leaded all the way to David, or from Judah, all over from Abraham. He couldn't have done that. He couldn't have made that up. He couldn't have manufactured that. When in fact, when you look at the Jewish culture, they're very, very, extremely, extremely good record takers in terms of family. That family was that important. They documented everything. They document exactly who is in the family, and they got passed on and passed on and passed on. So when we look at Jesus and think about his family line, we have to keep these things in mind. In fact, when you think about this, and I was trying to imagine this today, like, can you imagine if you were in Jesus' family line, right? Because 
you know, we look at our family and we have like, I think about my family. I think about my dad's side and my grandfather. My grandfather was like a genius, right? So he, he was, uh, grew up in Korea. He became a chemistry professor at Seoul University. He was like top of the top and he is actually uh, so well renowned that he wrote a chemistry textbook, the textbook that they used at Seoul University. And I talked to other people that I've come in contact with that part of Seoul University and they're like, that's your grandfather? I was like, oh, yeah, that was my grandfather, right? My grandfather's brother was a national poet. You know, he wrote different poetry that um, everybody would know. Like, if you're in the United States of, like, you know, my country, tis of thee, or some things that you grew up here, like, he wrote things like that for Korea. The president of, the, of Korea was at his funeral. Like, that's in my family line. And I think about them, like, it's kind of crazy. Right? That that's in my family line. But I think about that and I feel like there's some sense of pride like, wow, that's, that's in my family. Right? And there's some sense of what I mentioned last time is like, and that's what, that's what God works through. God works through our family that I can receive that too. But when I look at Jesus' family line, that's on a whole different level. Can you imagine if Jesus was in your family line? Right? He is in your family tree. Like, that is something special. That is something very special. Okay, so all that said, let's take a look at these different people in Jesus' family line. Okay, I'm going to call this imperfect, imperfect perfection. Okay, so in verse 3, we look at the first one, which says, Judah was a father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this story, it's a very bizarre story that we read in Genesis. Okay, so when you look at this Genesis account about Tamar, Okay, so Judah, okay, so Judah, he was the father of present and Zerah by Tamar. But he wasn't married to Tamar. Tamar was actually married to one of his sons. So this was his daughter-in-law. Tamar was one of his daughter-in-law, okay? So what happened was uh, Tamar married one of Judah's sons, and the son passed away. So when the son passed away in Jewish culture, in this patriarchal society, because the woman didn't have a high place in society, really they were dependent on the man. So when the man or the husband died, the family is supposed to take responsibility for the woman. So the brother is supposed to take that, uh, the sister-in-law into his family and take them as one of his, his wives. So that's what happened. That's what happened here. One of... Judah's other sons took Tamar in, okay? But over the course of the events, and we won't go into the whole thing, he ended up passing away as well, okay? Then Judah, the father, was a little bit worried. Two of his sons have died being married to Tamar. So he's saying, I don't want any more of my sons marrying this woman, right? He was thinking like, she's kind of like the black widow, right? Everybody that marries her ends up dead, Right? But there's still this responsibility that's supposed to happen. They're supposed to take care of the women. They're supposed to take care of the widows. So Judah is actually responsible for taking care of, uh, of Tamar. Okay? But he doesn't do it. Okay? So what Tamar does, okay, and this is what gets even more strange, right? So what Tamar does is that she goes into the countryside and she disguises herself in a costume. She pretends that she's a prostitute, 
right? And so she totally covers herself so they can't tell who she is. She's a prostitute. And I don't know how she knows this, but that Judah goes into the countryside. So Judah solicits her as a prostitute, right? And then through that process, uh, the payment was supposed to be made. And so Tamar said to Judah, oh, give me your staff and give me your cloak as a seal that you're going to have this payment. Okay, so he does that. Okay, then later... Uh, it gets found out that uh, they have this encounter where Tamar confronts Judah and say, like, hey, is this, this, is your, this is your staff and your cloak. And it finds that then he starts realizing, oh, my gosh, I got discovered. You know, I got discovered that I was with this prostitute, and it was actually Tamar. Okay? So, as a result, he says, you're more righteous than I am, he says. And so he takes Tamar on as his wife and they have Perez and Zerah. Look at this as part of Jesus' family line, right? And if you think about our families and we think about their dysfunction, look at Jesus' family line. Look at the dysfunction he had within his family. When you look at Perez, who was the father of some, and all the people in Jesus' family line came from this. This is part of his family line about his generations of what happened and we start noticing what we start noticing that Jesus is just one of us you know he came to identify with each one of us that when we think about Jesus being the savior of the world about everyone in the world that includes everyone that includes all of us that are broken all of us that come from broken families all of us that have dysfunction in our families, all of us that have all of these different skeletons in our closet, you could say, all these things that we've had that we don't want to share, that we don't want people to be aware of, we don't want to be public, and we don't want other people to know that this is going on in our family. But look at Jesus. He publicly displayed it. It's recorded in the Bible, and he's not ashamed of it. God is not ashamed, but he's not hidden of it. He didn't want these things. He didn't prevent these things from being written down and to be public to everyone. Everybody knows this for everyone to read. The Bible is the most read book in all of history. Everybody reads this. Everybody knows this. Everybody sees what's in Jesus's family line, including this, including this bizarre situation including this situation that seems so sinful and so broken and so dysfunctional. It's in Jesus' family line. And it didn't prevent God from using this family line to produce the Savior of the world. That says something. That says something when we think about us, we think about our family, we think about our friends, we think about their families. Look at what God did through broken families produced Jesus and Jesus wasn't ashamed of it look at verse 5 it says Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse okay which is going to lead to David okay so look at verse 5 okay so you know this there's two women also in verse 5 in in Jesus genealogy Okay, and then you're starting to get a picture. He named Tamar, he named Rahab, he named uh, Ruth, and then in verse 6, he's going to name Bathsheba. Okay, so there's all of these women in Jesus' genealogy. Okay, and we talked about in the introduction to this how the unusual that is, right? 
that usually the woman doesn't get named in the genealogy, only the man. Okay, so it's interesting that he points out at least four, including Mary, there's going to be five different women in Jesus' genealogy that he calls out and he names. Okay, in verse 5, it's interesting we see Rahab and Ruth. Okay, Rahab is a very interesting one that's in Jesus' genealogy. Because if you're familiar with the story in Genesis, who's Rahab? Rahab is a prostitute. So it's interesting, Tamar pretended to be a prostitute, but Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And the spies had come and and asked her to help them in being able to uh, hide their identity and being able to do those things. That was Rahab. Rahab, as a prostitute, became part of Jesus' family line. Now, when you think about that, and you think about God's redemption and what he can do, when you think about Rahab being a part of Jesus' family line, that, wow, we talked about how special it would be to be a part of Jesus' family line. Part of that is Rahab. Part of that is a woman who lived a totally broken life, and what we would call, the world would call a very sinful life, one that you feel like, no, that can't be a part of Jesus' line. You can't have this person being a part of Jesus' line who is the son of God. You can't have that. That doesn't seem right. How could that be possible that Rahab is? And yet here it is. Here it is. Rahab is a part of Jesus' family line. Look at Ruth. Ruth is a part of Jesus' family line. Why is that significant? Because Ruth is not even Jewish. Ruth is not even an Israelite. Jew is a, Ruth is a Gentile. Ruth is part outside of the Jewish, Jewish lineage where the Jews, the reason they felt so compelled to write everything down is because of the Jewish family line. They wanted to keep track of those thing, different things. Yet someone who is a non-Jew is a part of Jesus' family line. Right? This is just a foreshadowing that Jesus is going to say, I'm not only the king of the Jews, I'm the king of the world. I'm not just a savior for the Jews. I'm going to be the savior for the Gentiles, which is all you and I. If you're a non-Jew, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile, right? The reason that we're, we're saved and we have a relationship with Jesus is because of things like this. Because like Ruth is in Jesus' family line. Look at verse 6. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, this is a very, very awkward kind of like description of David and Solomon here. So, uh, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Okay, so when we look at this, when we look at uh, verse 6, we notice that first is Bathsheba, right, and David. And if you're familiar with this story, this is also something that you wouldn't think to be in Jesus' family line. Because how does David and Bathsheba get together? It's through adultery. Right? Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah. Yet David, you know, looked upon uh, Bathsheba, took advantage of himself being king and having that kind of power, and basically took uh, Uriah's wife away from him. Right? And then he tried to cover it up. He tried to cover it up because he felt ashamed of doing that. So Uriah was one of the soldiers in his army. So he basically set up Uriah to get killed. Right? So when we look at David and we think about David, David is like, you know, you think about the Mount Rushmore for like the Jews. Mount Rushmore for the Jews would be like Abraham, Moses, David. 
right? When you think about the most important people in the Jewish, um, you know, the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion, it, David is at the top. David is really one of the top. But look at David, adulterer, murderer, and yet he is part of Jesus' family line. In fact, in the beginning in verse 1, what did we see? That Matthew is going to, in particular, he's going to give the genealogy through Abraham and through David. Those are the pillars of what he's going to account or recount as the genealogy of Jesus. Now, when you look at this, when you look at Rahab, when you look at Tamar, when you look at Ruth, when you look at Bathsheba and David, what, what can we learn from this? What can we receive from looking at Jesus' genealogy? I think one of the things we can, we can really notice from this is that I think, and this is true for me, and you might find this true for you, is I think when we look at ourselves, when we look at our lives, when we look at things that we've done, especially when we've done things that are not right, when we made mistakes, that when we sin, that we made bad choices, that we made things that we regret in our life, when we do things against our belief, when we've done and made choices that are contrary to being a Christian or believing in God or doing any of these things or even being a good human being, we've made some choices like that. I think we all have. I have. I've done things in my life that, honestly, I feel ashamed about. You know, and I feel like I was a Christian at the time. Some of these, I was a pastor at the time, and yet I did these things. You know, and when we look at these things, I think oftentimes we are our worst critic. Is that true? Like we're often hardest on ourselves, even harder than other people. You know, we think a lot of times my parents are so hard on me, but really we're harder on ourselves than even our parents are, right? We don't like it when they criticize us and, and point all these different things out, but really we're much harder on ourselves than anybody else. We're our worst critic. And when we look at things like that, when we look at things in our life that we regret, when we look at things that we've done wrong, there's a lot of different ways we can react to this. And there's a lot of different ways we can respond to this. You know, some people just try to hide it. They just try to ignore it. They try to just say, no, 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 I don't hear that. I don't see that. You know, they, don't, they try to go like that and where they pretend like it's not even there. Other people try to make up for it. You know, they try to make up for all the things, that, and they try to work really hard by ch to change those things and to become different people. There's a lot of different ways we can respond. But one of the things that I've really noticed is that these things take such a prominent feel in our life and about who we think we are and who we think God is and what he can do in our life. When we look at our life, we think, wow, I made all these bad decisions or I failed here, or I messed up here, or I had this moral failure, or I did this wrong, or I wronged this person, or I did this terrible thing. And we think, we're defeated. And we think, wow, I just, I just have to live this best version of this inferior self that I have. We have this inferior self of who we think we are. We have this low view of who we, who we think we are as Christians or believers. And we think that I just need to make the best of it, right? We don't think it's wrong. We don't question it. We just say, this is who I am. Let me try to make the best of it. But I just want to tell you, one of the things we can learn from Jesus' family line is that is a lie. That's not true. Your mistakes and your past don't define who you are. 
They don't define who you are currently, and they don't define who you are in the, fu in the future. They don't define you. God defines you. Look at his family line. Look at Tamar in the story that we heard. Look at Rahab and her background. Look at Ruth and her background, being outsider. Look at Bathsheba and the things that happened with David. You would look at that, you would think that those people would all be disqualified for being in part of Jesus' family line. But this is when we're looking through human eyes. This is when we're looking through human judgment. This is when we're looking at those things and feeling like, it's over. <laughs> you know, I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many wrong things that I can't, I can't do any of these things, you know, that I would think that God would want for me. I just want to see when we look at Jesus' line that that is a lie. That's just simply not true. That God, the reason he has these people in the family line, one of the reasons I believe, one of the reasons he has Matthew record all of these different people is to show that very fact, that God redeems, that God resurrects, that God changes and transforms. God resurrects the dead. God cleanses. God brings clarity and cleansing and purity to things that were unclean. That God could repurpose those things and change those things and transform those things. That you and I and all of our brokenness and all of our dysfunction, we can be used by God. We can do great things for God. That we can do things that beyond what we think we can do or think are possible for us because it's not up to us it's up to God when we look at Jesus's line when we look at all the people that get highlighted in Jesus's line we can remember this God can redeem God through Jesus is the savior of the world that means all of us every single person no matter what their background is no matter what they've gone through no matter the things that they've gone mistakes that they've gone Jesus is, came for this reason, to redeem us and to save us. Let's pray. So, Father, we want to, God, just thank you for Jesus. Now, I think about uh, Jesus' genealogy, physical genealogy, but when we look at his spiritual genealogy, we're all in that. If you believe in Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you're a part of that. We actually are part of Jesus' family now. We're in his spiritual genealogy. We're the same as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all those bigwigs. We're in the same family line too. We're a part of that. Jesus considers us that highly that he would put us a part of his family. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would you know, keep pouring out your grace. Give, give us your eyes to see. Help us to see not just through our eyes, but through your eyes. See how Jesus can transform and redeem, how he can make all things new. But that's why you brought your son here on earth, is to make all things new. So thank you that we can have that. Thank you that you offer that so freely. Thank you that it really doesn't even have to do anything with us. We don't have to have the ability or the strength to do that. You do that for us. Our job, to receive it. Our job, to believe it. Our job, to trust it and have faith in it. Our job, to go ahead with our, with our life 
in the way that you really desire and the way you want and freed us to be able to be. So thank you, Lord. Thanks for how good you are. Thanks for how amazing Jesus is. And we just want to thank you and praise you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.